Today, we begin a brand new series in the book of Philippians, and we've entitled this series, Finding Joy in an Unsettled World. It's a letter written from Paul to this group of people that he loved dearly. He writes it from prison, and throughout the book, you're going to see, and we're going to see, and I'm going to see, and you're going to see today that he talks about it is possible to have outrageous joy regardless of your circumstances. It is possible to respond in joy no matter if everything is falling up round, down around you or everything is up around you. It's a choice we make. Joy is not an emotion. It's not an emotion that you have. It's a choice. It's a lifestyle. It's a fruit of the spirit. And so our hope throughout this series is this, that you and I walk away each day, each Sunday, and we ask ourselves, are we choosing joy? Do we have a lifestyle of joy regardless of what's happening around us? One defined joy this way. Listen to this definition of joy. It's the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I don't know what you're walking through or what uncertainty has just hit your doorstep, but we have this choice. We have a choice a determined choice to praise God in every situation, a confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and also an assurance that God is in complete control of all the details, even though others might not see it or you might not see it. When you run into someone that responds that way, you never forget them. When you see someone in your life that is filled with joy, you don't forget them. You walk away a changed person. And there have been many times in my life, in present life, that people are coming to mind that are filled with joy. They choose joy instead of complaining and whining and leaving with an emotion that is a response to how they feel instead of a lifestyle which they choose. They choose. Now, this week I ran into a story of a lady that exudes joy in spite of her circumstances. Take a look at this amazing woman filled with joy. In my lifetime, I have experienced the rule of two totalitarian regimes. One was the German Nazis and the second was the Russian Communists. The Word of God says 366 times, do not be afraid, do not fear. So we weren't afraid. After 40 years of communism here, the fact that many believers left the country, the Czech Republic has been called the most atheist place in Europe. It breaks my heart. My name is Ludmila Harerova. I'm 82 years old. I have seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. My husband went to heaven in 2002. The Lord Jesus told me, now he is my husband, and he wants to continue to use me. He wants me to be his representative, his ambassador, 
Next to the door of my house, there is a bronze sign that says, The Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven. My home is an extension of Christ's kingdom. It's a place where people can come and look for help if they're in trouble or have a need. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the atmosphere I want here at the embassy. The visitors that I get, some of them have called ahead to let me know they're coming, and some just come. The ones that haven't called are usually the best ones because I'm not prepared for them. Everything that happens is dependent on the Lord. Today, a dear friend came by. She's a widow, and her family really are struggling financially. Whenever people enter this house, I just lay everything else aside and spend time with them. I have learned to recognize the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and give Him room to use me. The Holy Spirit likes to take control. Often I listen to myself and I'll say things I wouldn't even think about. There is no problem to deal with the issues that people bring when they come here because the Holy Spirit is here. It's an honor for me to be an instrument of God's love and His wisdom every day. We often don't realize that all believers are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are all ambassadors. The Lord Jesus didn't choose to do it any other way. He simply entrusted us. I'm moved deeply when I see a woman like that, a man like that. She's not loud. She's not loud. She just simply lives Christ in front of others and is able to do so even in a country that is literally remiss of Christians. She has held her ground and trusted in Christ and there's no doubt in my mind that when you leave her presence, you're filled with joy because she's filled with joy. This lady has learned to live above her circumstances and even sees her role in life is to encourage and lift up others with the joy of the Lord. Joy 
is that settled assurance that God is in complete control of the details of our life. It's the quiet confidence that we just witness that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And it's the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Today, we'll find another person that if you probably spent time with, you would walk away filled with joy. A man who loved a group of people. It had been almost 10 years since he had planted this church with them, who now finds himself, as we would understand, in prison, shackled, lonely, sick. And he decides that he will write a letter to this group of people that he knows and knows well to encourage them instead of wanting to receive something from them. So he grabs his scroll and he grabs his ink and he begins to write a letter to this dear group of people who he had befriended almost 10 years. It began with an introduction to a name of a lady by the name of Lydia in Acts chapter 16. And a praying group of people got together and from that this church was formed and the church was started and Paul moved on his way. Now he finds himself in prison because of sharing the gospel. And he writes this dear letter. Now imagine if you can with me. You haven't heard from someone in a very long time. Someone that you love dearly. Someone who has impacted your life in a great way. Maybe it's a mother or father, a brother or sister. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a previous pastor or friend. Maybe it was someone that you grew up with. And you go to the mailbox and you open up your mailbox and you pull out this letter that you aren't expecting. You didn't know it was coming. And you open it up and you look at the return address and you see that name, that familiar address with someone that you really long to hear from. You're excited, you can hardly wait, and maybe you do like I do when those kind of letters come. You, you, you set everything else aside and you go to a quiet place in your office or your house And you make sure there aren't any distractions and you tear open that letter. You rip it open and you pull it out and you begin to read. And it says your name, Dear Jim. And you look at this letter and you begin to read it and it conjures up all these feelings and emotions that you've had with this person who you deeply, deeply, deeply love. You're encouraged, you're challenged. And then you take that letter that's very special to you because it's significant to you because it comes from someone that means a lot to you. And you take that letter and you know what you do with it? You take it and you put it in a drawer somewhere. You put it in a box or you foul it away. You don't throw it in the trash because this letter is so very important. And from time to time when you're feeling down or you need a boost, you go to that box, you go to that drawer, you open it up. You, you, you see that the letter's already been opened and you reread it over and over and over and over again. This is what's happening here. This church has this male leader, this man called Paul who helped him start this. He's writing them this letter. Now picture if you can, it's mail time in Philippi and someone yells, we got a letter from Paul. We got a letter from Paul. People come running who know him and they begin to read this letter that's written from a man that they've been praying for because they know he's in prison. And so they're not certain what this letter is going to say. In fact, part of them are probably wondering, I bet he's going to ask for help because he's in such dire straits. And they begin to read this letter 
and they are enveloped with joy. This is the letter written by a man named Paul to a group of people that he loved dearly. We're going to read the first part of this letter today. Turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you need a Bible today, open up or hold up your hand. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And stand with me as we read this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. Now picture if you can, you've never heard this before. (laughs) It comes from someone that you love dearly. And they find out it's from Paul. And so they're hanging on to every word. Imagine as if you are hearing this for the very first time. And this is your brother in Christ speaking to you. Let's read this letter, verses 1 through 11 from Paul. Ready, read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness and comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may have a seat. As you can see, Paul opens this up. It's filled with joy. It's filled with warm greetings. It's, it's this, this leader of theirs saying, hey, I'm, I, 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 I've been thinking about you and I'm, and I'm praying for you and I believe in you and I'm, and I'm confident of this. And it's this, it's this letter from a man who's in prison knowing that this church needs a boost, knowing that this church needs some encouragement. And he sends this letter to them and he reminds them that, that it's right for him even to feel this way about you, he says, because I have you in my heart. You're, you're near and dear to me. We, we minister together. We, 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 we chased after Jesus together. And then he reminds us that, that, it's, that I love you and I'm hopeful that your love for Christ continues to abound. And so they're listening to this letter and probably some of them are thinking, wow. He's saying all that when he's in prison. He's, he, he's saying all that and he's shackled and, and chained and, 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 and he can't get out. And they're seeing this man who understood that even though the circumstances of life and the unsettled world around him that he was sitting in, he was filled with joy. I love Paul's address because he reminds us that thankfulness is a choice. In fact, look at verse three again. Look what he says here. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with what? What's the word? Joy. 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day even until now. Every time I remember you, he says, I thank God for you. Paul chooses, even to this church, to focus on the good he saw in this group. His memories of them made him smile. And so as this letter is being written, that's what he's thinking on. He says, I choose to be thankful and, and, I, and I praise God for you. And he's thinking back to all these moments that he had with them at, as this fledgling church was beginning and, and they were sitting in a house and they were teaching and preaching and, and he's remembering all the moments when they probably prayed out to God and asked, Lord, would you come through? And he says, I thank my God every single time I remember you. He had no ill feelings towards them. He carried no regrets. He chose to be positive and thank them. He lets us know that thankfulness is a choice. And just ask yourself this question. In fact, if you're married, ask your wife or husband, am I a thankful person? Just ask yourself this question. How many times did you say thank you this morning? How many times did you just say thank you to your children or say thank you for a door being held open or thank you for the people who work behind the counter that served you coffee or thank you to, to the person that was checking in your children who's volunteering on Sunday morning or, or, or thank your wife for if, if she helped sit by your side this morning and just listen to you. Or maybe you sent a text. How many of you were thinking about someone that you know that you've ministered to? Our, our modern day letters are sent through text. And how many of you took time just even this morning to say thank you? How many of you just said thank you to God? He reminds us even from the beginning of this letter, he looks at them and says, I thank God every single time I remember you. Hit the pause button a second and ask yourself this question. As you look back over a 10-year relationship with people, what do you choose to remember about them? That's what he's doing. He's looking back. So he chooses to remember the things that they did in the partnership of the gospel, praying together, fasting together, serving together, worshiping together, doing everything together. He chooses to be thankful. When you look back, what do you remember about people? What do you remember about former workers, former churches, former pastors and bosses and friends and coaches? What, what, what comes to mind if you would say, someone just says this name, do you choose to remember and give thanks? That's what Paul is doing. He says, I choose to be thankful. He's not holding anything against. He's being thankful for. There's something very powerful happening here you see, Paul entertained only good thoughts about these people and positive memories about them. And because of that, he was filled with joy. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and even self-control and faithfulness. And Paul is choosing, he's choosing to give thanks to them. He entertained only good thoughts. And we live in a world, I mean, I'll be very, very frank here. It drives me nuts even when it comes in the sporting arena, I'm, I'm a big sports fan and, and our family is, and God has allowed athletics to give us a platform to talk about Jesus. And that's been our platform and we try to use it for his good. And, and every one of us have a different platform. So use your platform. Yet when I watch the sports world, we have this world that hates other people, that roots against teams because they hate a player because they hate a winning team, because they hate something. And, and, and so for me, almost, I just, 
there's been times I just turn off the TV after games so that I don't have to hear someone saying all the reasons why they're glad that this person lost, all the reasons why they don't like someone, all the reasons why they hate someone. We, we, we are a group of people, and if we're not careful, we become Christians who stand more for what we're against than what we're for. This world we live in there, how many people just are like, they hate LeBron James. They hate Stephen Curry. It's like, what is wrong? And, and there's this satisfaction that comes from even Christ followers if they lose because they hate them. Like, I don't see that in scripture anywhere. And yet our world is loaded with it. We, we hate, we love to hate. And yet Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In fact, I love that he's praying for them in the midst of his own uncertain future. He's sitting in prison, broke, beaten, sick. Yet in verse four, he says, I always pray with joy because of the partnership we have in the gospel. Paul's saying, I'm lonely, but the message of Jesus is going forward. Paul is saying, I'm dying, but the message continues. And he reminds them that joy is a lifestyle. There's a powerful discipline here too. If you look at his life and what the example that he's given us is this. Whenever you pray, begin by thanking God for that person. Think about that for a second. When you're praying for your kids, when you're praying for your spouse, when you're praying for your friends, your mom, your dad, your coach, your coworker, your boss, your employees, your business, begin by thanking God. You see, when we thank God for someone, it pushes us to remember things that, are, that, that they've done well instead of thinking about all the things they haven't done well. Whenever you pray, by, begin by thanking God for that person, you, you, you tell God, thank you for the role they played in my life, for all the good they've done for me for the good that they've done for others. Even if you're having conflict with that person, thank God that because of this, you are growing spiritually in the Lord. It's perspective. Lord, I thank you for this conflict. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that I'm being challenged to grow. Lord, I thank you for that. It changes how you live and view life. You see, when you begin to do this, it shapes what you let come into your mind, plus the words you speak plant the fruit of your future. I thank God every time I remember you. Is that what you do with your former coaches and former places of business and former bosses? Do you say, I choose to thank God for them because of this and because of that? My wife and I have done a lot of reflecting. We praise God, even serving 20 years at Grace Community and and we have, we've sat down and we've told stories and last weekend we were able to get together by God's grace with a group of people who were part of the original group that were there that received Ann and I and our family when we came here. And when we came here, Josh was four and Hannah was two and Isaiah was yet to be born. And 20 years ago, there's a lot that's different than it is now. So we sat in our room at home and because it was raining outside and we just told stories of God breakthrough moments, God stories. We told stories of, of how the Lord moved and we told stories of what, how good he is and we told stories of changed lives and it was so good to remember the good things. We didn't sit and talk about the, the, the things that were negative. We, we chose to remember the good things and it's been so good for us. So Paul says, thankfulness is a choice. And then he gives us this truth that that I think is one of the most powerful verses in scripture. 
In fact, I find more, as much hope in this verse as I do in any hope outside of the verses that talk about salvation. Look, read, look, look with me. Look what he says in, in, in verse five. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, verse six, here's the verse. Being confident of this, he said, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to what? What's it say? Completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Look at that verse again. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's looking at this group and this letter is being written and they're receiving this letter and they're saying, Paul said this, what God starts in a person, he finishes. Man, I find incredible hope in that. Like when I read that, it just encourages my heart. To know that, number one, God's not finished with me. I'm a work in progress. Like, the person, the Jim Brown you see today isn't the Jim Brown you're going to see tomorrow or the last breath I breathe when I stand in front of Christ Jesus. Not because of what I'm going to do, but because of what God's going to do through me. It's looking at that person that's walked away, who's trusted in Christ. It's my friend Joey Weeks that he should be doing what I'm doing. He was the preacher. I was his cheerleader. He's the one that's drifted and it breaks my heart. It's, it's knowing that, 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 that God is looking at him and saying, Jim, I'm not finished with Joey. I started the work and I will finish the work. It's you looking at that son or daughter or husband or wife that has drifted and it's drifting and you're longing to see them come alive. It's you saying, God, you promised that you will finish what you've started. See, there's hope in that today. I love this part of the letter. He's trying to tell them to hold on and keep moving forward. Maybe there was, maybe there was a time in, with someone's life. Maybe there was a faction. I don't know what was going on in the church, but he wanted them to know that, 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 that be confident of this, that he who began a good work in the church of Philippi will carry it on completion till the end. Every one of us needs to know that God is completely, sovereignly in control of our lives. And we can have confidence in that. I love this verse because if everything seems to be falling apart in your life and you're a child of God, if you feel like you're in the waiting game, if there doesn't appear to be a solid answer to your life, if you just come off a very difficult time in your life and you wonder, is that, will that person be able to make it? Will I be able to make it? God says, listen, if they know Christ and you know Christ, I got their back and I'm going to complete the work I've started in them. God is working on your behalf right now to give you a perfect answer. The Lord has not folded his hands on your situation. That's what he's telling this church, and that's what he's telling us today. He hears your prayers. He sees your hopeless situation. He fills your broken heart, and he started this work in you, and he will complete it. You might have a son that's walked away. You might have a daughter that's walked away. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe something's drifting. And, but listen, if they know Christ... The person you see today, the relationship that you see today, God's not finished. And there's hope for you. And by the way, he is complete in complete sovereign control of that. Over the last week or so, we've received a lot of letters. And my, on behalf of my wife and my kids, we say thank you. My wife has read every letter and my children had read them also. And we say thanks. 
And there have been many letters of where God's sovereign control has taken place. And there are a few that have stuck out. And this is one, when I was thinking of this message this week, I said, boy, this is a perfect example of God starting a work in someone and then still working on them. God working in someone's life and sovereignly behind the scenes, it's a difficult time in their life and they wonder if he's out there and then God says, I'm not finished with you. Listen, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you grow. I'm gonna get you back on your feet. And this is a letter from showing how God is in sovereign control and he's willing to finish what he started. Here's the letter. It says, Dear Pastor Jim, The first time I ever heard you preach was online through Revive Indiana. Your sermon that night really hit home to me, and I wasn't attending church anywhere at that time. But your message was so strong that I searched and searched until I found what church you were at. On Saturday night, I tried to talk myself out of attending your church. The next morning, I kept telling myself that I I didn't know anyone there and that I didn't belong there. Sunday morning, I woke up early and got dressed and drove to Grace. I parked and sat in my car. I kept telling myself that I didn't belong here. And I started my car three times to leave. Finally, I told myself to get out and go in. So I did. And what happened that day changed my life. You see, for the last seven years, I have dealt with major depression. And I have tried twice to end my life. On that very Sunday that I walked into that church and sat down, your sermon was about depression and anxiety. It sent chills all through me. I know now that it was Satan telling me that I didn't belong there. And I also know that the Lord moved my feet and placed me in that chair that day at Grace Community Church. That was a very special day, almost a little over a year ago, and I haven't missed a Sunday since. Now, there's more to that story how God is working. And just give you a little snapshot into my life. That was a Monday night, if I recall correctly, that I was speaking at Revive Indiana. I found out a few days earlier that I was speaking. And in the ebb and flow of Grace Community, I purposely, and we purposely, as a leadership, those that preach, we preach in the week, we prepare in the week that we're preaching. It's a personal conviction that I have. That way I I preach from where hopefully you're at and I'm at. And so I don't spend a whole bunch of time weeks before preparing five or six weeks ahead. Many do, and it works for them. But to be quite frank, normally on Mondays, because it's my day off, I haven't begun studying or preparing for Sunday's message. To show how sovereign that God is, God knew what I was going to speak about that coming Sunday before I knew what I was going to speak about. And God loved this person so much. I want you to think about this. So very much. By the way, God can use any church and any preacher. It wasn't just that he just looked out there and he was looking and he was scanning surrounding churches for this woman and he was looking for a place maybe where a word from the Lord would line up with her life. And so he looked and he thought, hey, Grace Community is gonna be talking about depression and anxiety this week. And so he allowed this person to scan the online podcast of Revive Indiana, and then God allowed this person 
to find Grace Community Church because on that Sunday would be the very message that would lift her from her woes. That's how much God is willing to complete the work that he started in someone. Now, put your situation there. God is working behind the scenes and your story might not end up like this, but there's no doubt in my mind that he sees you and that he hears you and he started the work, that he is working behind the scenes so that he can refine you, so that he can help you, so that he can support you, so that he can mature you, so that he can finish the work that he started in you. He hears your prayers and he's working right now. Maybe you have a wife, maybe you have a husband, maybe you have someone that's walked away. Listen to me, whatever God has started, listen to me, he will finish it. Many people consider this verse, verse six, the greatest verse in the Bible. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's where we get the term, and this is a term, let me help you here. It's a big term in theology called perseverance of the saints. It's the idea where we get that, that once Christ saves you, once the, the God draws you, once the Holy Spirit seals you, at the point of salvation, it's this picture that, that once God has you in his hand and you are his child, John 10 says, no one can pluck us from the Father's hand. Think about that. Just, just the, the mere fact that we think we can. How in the world would any non or finite person who doesn't have the strength of an um, infinite God be able to remove us from an eternal grip of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? It, what he's saying in John 10 is no one can remove us once we are his kids. There is nothing that we could ever do to to keep our salvation, or even earn our salvation. God does the work for us. It's perseverance of the saints. In fact, I, I would prefer if we said it this way, it would be better stated, it's the perseverance of God. God promises. He preserves us to the end. So what Paul is saying, he's looking at this church, he says, hold on. He's saying salvation begins with God. He makes the first move. And unless God took the initiative in you and, and, and me, we would still be running from him. God takes responsibility, Paul is saying here, for completing the work in us. Nothing will block the accomplishment of that divine purpose. God is not finished with us yet. So here's, when I look at this verse, here's what it means to me. He won't let us stay the way we are today. Amen to that? <laughs> so no matter where you're at, this, I mean, you might think you're having a good day. You might think that you're, you're, you're where you need to be. God is saying, no, no, no. The, the finished product isn't there until the day of Christ Jesus. And so this picture that he will not let us stay. So you're in a marriage and you have this rift and you're longing for more from your wife and your husband and you're wanting to them see them chase after Jesus. Here's the good news, wife. Here's the good news, husband. You can go to bed assured tonight since they're a Christ follower. Listen, it's not up to you. God will complete what he started. There's hope in that. So we must not bail out on each other. 
Because if we are trusting in us to change someone, then there is no hope. But when we bank on God and his integrity, he comes through. See, there's so much hope. And I'll say this again for my friend Joey. I just, it breaks my heart to see his condition. Because I remember the prayers. I remember hearing him preach. I remember him fasting for days. And there have been days, oh Lord, you promised me, God, you promised in your word that you're not finished with him. Some of us have a long ways to go. I do. <laughs> An enormous distance to travel. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because I'd rather be six inches from hell headed to heaven than six inches from heaven headed to hell. See, God has saved me. And listen, he saved you when he saves you. No one can ever take that. Listen, we can't backload the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. You can't front load the gospel. We're saved by grace through faith. That means this. It's the work of God. It's a free gift. God does the saving. We can't earn our salvation. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, if we did, we would boast about it. Look what I did. Look how much I did. You didn't do enough. We would never get to the point where we thought we did enough. It's by grace through faith. We can't front load the gospel and say, I can earn it. Some of us want to backload the gospel. Here's backload. Now that I'm saved, I need to continue to keep my salvation. The Bible says to work it out. It doesn't say we need to keep it. Once God saves you, it's a done deal. Perseverance of God. You see, good news, good news is this. Take a look at your son. Take a look at your daughter. Take a look at your coach. Take a look at your pastor. Take a look at your church. Take a look at your teacher. Take a look at your boss. Take a look at the coworker on the assembly line that knows Christ. If you wonder if anything's going to change, just look at him and say, God's not finished with them yet. Praise the Lord. You see, that should motivate us to continue to grow with that person and love that person instead of separating and running because they're not following after God. You see, what happens is when we begin to look at ourselves and we expect us to control and change the person, fear, worry, and stress keep us from trusting in God. And we need to remind ourselves that no one loves them more than God does. He's good on his word. Paul is reminding the church, his integrity has never been broken. He's reminding us that you and I need to release control of that situation to God and say, God, you love him more than I do. And I know his heart is broken. And there are times I feel, I feel horrible about this, but listen, he's your child. You will care for him far better than I can. And if Paul is correct here, and I believe he is, these words give us confidence to face our day and explore the future with hope. And when uncertain future wants to paralyze us, we can rejoice and be glad and say, it is well with my soul because God promises to complete what he started. People that rejoice are a breath of fresh air, like Paul. Because they know that temporary happiness will never, ever deeply satisfy them. Joy is a choice. It's a lifestyle. God is never measured 
And his joy should never be measured in our lives by our circumstances. If you build your life on circumstances, you're going to be miserable at least as often as you are happy. Here's some general observations that I've recognized in people that are joyful. There are people that come to mind right now that understand that, that they can live above their situation. People that, that, that I look at right now, there, there are many people running through my mind that, that, that I know that are filled with joy. Like I've watched them in the hardest and best, easiest and, and, and most difficult times of life. Same response filled with joy. Here's what I've observed about joyful people. They are appreciative and thankful people. They have a spirit of gratitude. They're often saying thanks. They often say praise the Lord. They're great encouragers. They lift others up. I watch them resist discouragement and downs when days things go bad, knowing that God is in complete control. They are often in good health because they haven't let stress and worry and addictions that kind of shadow and shape their lives. They value discipline and relationships. They always speak well of others. People filled with joy speak well of others. They speak well of former bosses. They speak well of former churches. They speak well of exes. They speak well of others because they recognize that they can have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Pull away and just ask yourself this question. Is that you? When people go through their contact lists in their phone and they scroll through their contact lists and your name surfaces, does the fruit of the spirit of joy come to mind for them? Would they say, wow, she exudes joy like the woman did at the beginning of this message. She or he exudes joy like Paul does, prison in prison, (laughs) chained and shackled. And thanking God for this group of people and always praying with joy. And then Paul wraps up this beginning of this intro to this letter to them. And he says this to them. He says in verse 7, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Almost like he had to be apologetic. Like they would wonder, how can you feel that way? Don't you know us? He says, since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. Then he said, by the way, God can testify how I long for all of you with affection. He's sitting in this prison. I want you to know I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm proud of you. And I'm proud of you. And then he says this. And this is my prayer for you, Church of Philippi, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The reality is this, and if you were to respond this way, you would say the same, that the longer we walk with Jesus, the more loving we become. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you understand what unconditional love is. He prays that their love may abound more and more and more in knowledge, 
that not only you will love much, but love well. This is the great prayer for all. The world can be won to Jesus by our prayers, and they know we are Christians by our love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love, love, I mean, just look at 1 Corinthians 13. It's the picture of what love is. It's, it's not holding something against someone. It's not waking up with a clenched fist towards an ex or, or towards someone that did something to you. You don't wake up with clenched fists. You open up with open hands of gratitude to the Lord. This is the picture of a joy-filled person. This is not the picture of someone walking in the Spirit. And Paul is looking at this precious group of people and basically telling them, hold on no matter what comes your way. Draw closer to Jesus. Keep loving people. Let them see the love of Christ. And you'll make better decisions in your life. And you'll be able to discern Look what he says. You'll be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Love cleans the filter of our minds and removes all the negative thoughts that clog it. If you're still holding something against someone, listen, your love is not growing. This is a man who is locked up and soon will die. And even from his prison cell, he finds joy in knowing that God is in complete control of his life and he wants him to know that it is well with his soul. How is that possible? Well, think about your situation. You might have a pending court case against you and you, you might have someone leaving you. You might have just lost your job. You might have a sickness that you weren't aware of and you just got a report from the doctor. You might have a financial well. And Paul is saying, listen, 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 listen. It can be well with your soul and not just well. You can be filled with joy because God is with you. Joy. It's the settled assurance that God is in complete control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. What area of your life do you need to plant joy? Oh Lord, I pray for us today. We are the picture of love because of you. God, of all people on planet Earth, we should be the most joy-filled human beings because you chose us from the foundation of the world to be your children. We have been saved, gloriously slaved, saved, rescued from hell. And Lord, we have the benefits and the righteousness of Jesus on us and our eternity is in heaven with you. Of all people on planet Earth, we have hope. God, help us to live like we do. And Lord, I pray this week, this moment, this day, this hour, this month, this year, that we will remember that, Lord, no matter what we face, that we can have joy in an unsettled world because you are with us and it can be well with our soul no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.